Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. Did everybody turn in your nomination slip? You didn't because you weren't out here for the offering, right? Yeah, I look like Kevin had them all right there. Hand it to Kevin right there. All right. As I said, we'll read our text in a moment. Anybody remember Muhammad Ali? You may remember him saying, I am the greatest. Now, he made that statement on more than one occasion. But he said it the very first time on February 25th, 1964, after defeating Sonny Liston. Here's his full quote of what he said on that occasion. I am the greatest. I am the greatest thing that ever lived. I don't have a mark on my face. And I upset Sonny Liston. And I just turned 22 years old. I must be the greatest. And in the world of boxing... Probably was. But think of the arrogance of what he said. I mean, at that point of his career, his career was just starting as a professional boxer. At that point of his career, he could hardly make the claim that he was the greatest. I mean, yes, he had just beaten the champion, Sonny Liston, but a lot of boxers have beat the champion, yet would not be considered the greatest. Yet Muhammad said, I'm the greatest. We hear it a lot nowadays, the GOAT stands for greatest of all time. In basketball, Michael Jordan. Forget LeBron. Baseball, I could argue that. Most people would probably say Babe Ruth. Football. Be tough to argue with Tom Brady. Peyton Manning. I like him better than Tom Brady, actually. But In golf? No. Jack Nicklaus. Jack Nicklaus. In swimming? Michael Phelps, in hockey, Wayne Gretzky, the GOATs, greatest of all time. What about in the kingdom of God? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Some would say the Apostle Paul. Some might say Peter. We move up through church history, some may say St. Augustine or John Calvin or John Wesley. Maybe some more modern Christians would say Billy Graham. Let me give you the answer. You want the answer? Definitive answer. None of them. None of them were the greatest in the kingdom of God. At least not based on how well known they are or were or on their accomplishments, or even their likability. 
I mean, if it's likability, I'm the greatest in the kingdom of God. <laughs> See, if any of those people or anybody else you can think of were great, it's not because of anything we would attribute to them. There's only one way to be great in the kingdom of God. And we're going to read about it in our text this morning. Would you stand as we read? Matthew, Matthew, Mark chapter 9. We're going to begin reading in verse 30. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. After he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. The goat. He sat, he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage, speak to us. Guide us into truth. If there's anybody here today that doesn't truly know you as Savior, God, I pray that you won't let them leave here without knowing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. So I think here's the question we need to answer. How can anyone be great in the kingdom of God? It's clear from what Jesus said in verse 35. Yes? If anyone desires to be first, we could say great. We might need to put in parentheses in the kingdom of God. He shall be last of all and servant of all. So how do we do that? How do we do what Jesus says do in verse 35? I'm going to give you three clues from this text. Here's the first thing. We've got to focus on Jesus. We've got to focus on Jesus. See, it's easy in our world to get off focus. Would you agree? I mean, governments get off focus. Uh, businesses get off focus. Schools can get off focus. Churches can get off focus. Families can get off focus. Individuals certainly can get off focus. See, there are so many distractions in our world. I'm going to give you maybe the prime example. Is this a distraction? 
Anybody remember when you didn't have one of these? What did we do? Huh? Well, I mean, you had to find a pay phone. <laughs> or if you wanted to know where your kids were. You worried? <laughs> or you called the neighbors? Uh, my mom used to call the Baptist pastor because he and his son and I were good friends and we were always out doing something. So she'd call the, the Kewens was their name, Reverend Kewen. Have you seen the boys? Oh, yeah, they're down at the church playing basketball. Well, we didn't, you know, you, you, you couldn't follow me <laughs> wherever I go, right? You, 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 you could sit and talk with people and not see them. It's a distraction. I mean, is, is there any time you just wish these weren't around? See, it's easy for us to lose focus. Well, what should be our focus as believers? In verse 31 we read that Jesus taught his disciples. Do you know he was constantly doing that? He, he was constantly teaching his disciples. Guess what? He's still constantly doing that. We ought to be learning every single day, amen, as a follower of Jesus Christ. But on this occasion, we're reading about today, he was teaching the disciples something very specific. I want you to see what he says in verse 31. Look at the red part. Everybody got a red letter Bible? The red part. He's teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. See, Jesus was teaching about his death and resurrection. More specifically, he was giving them one of the keys to being great in the kingdom of God. Focus on Jesus. Focus on him. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus are the focal point of Christianity. Would you agree with me? I mean, without those two events his death and his resurrection, we have no Christianity. And if Jesus had died only and never had been raised from the dead, he would be just like every other religious leader. You could go visit his tomb and there'd be somebody in there. But there's nobody in his tomb. Why? He rose. He rose. He rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. Now here's a great couple of verses we need to know on this subject. Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I want you to flip over to them. Do a little Bible drill today. Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Look at this. <clears throat> We're interrupting Paul in the middle of a sentence, but that's okay, because that's not hard to do with Paul. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness. Read that last phrase. By the resurrection, By the resurrection from the dead. Do you see what that said in verse 4? He was declared to be the son of God 
with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. In other words, the resurrection was God's stamp of approval that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. The resurrection also declares that Jesus provided salvation. He provided eternal life for those who believe. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. So here's my point. We have to focus on Jesus. Not just his teaching, and his teaching was wonderful. Not just his miracles, though his miracles were amazing. We have to focus on the most important aspect of Jesus' trip to earth, and that was what? His death and resurrection. Focus on Jesus. Did you notice what, what, uh, what it said in verse 32 of our text? The disciples did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Jesus has already talked to them about this, his death and resurrection. Yes? Remember a while back I talked about the disciples being thick-headed? Was I right? I mean, Jesus has already told them, look, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to kill me. They're going to bury me. But don't worry, I'm going to rise again on the third day. He's already told them this. But they don't understand it. They don't understand it. Now, maybe they didn't understand exactly how it was going to transpire, but they can't say we haven't heard this before. And not only did they not understand it, they were afraid to ask him. You ever been afraid to ask a question? Sometimes you go, I don't want to, you know, that's a dumb question. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to appear to be dumb. So I won't ask it. Can I tell you something? Um, and I don't, I don't say this braggingly, but I've had a lot of formal education in the Bible. Nine and a half years to be specific. College, seminary, doctor's degree. Guess what? I don't know it all. I still don't understand about Melchizedek. I have people come up to me sometime or email me or whatever. Carl, Carl's real good. Almost at least weekly, sometimes daily, texts me a question about what he's just read in the Bible. I don't understand this, and so I got to go. See, I'm glad he's not there with me because he can't see my reaction. <laughs> and I go, <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> and so I have to study it. Sometimes I know right away. But sometimes I have to say, I, I don't know. And so I figure out the best answer I can figure out. Sometimes I just say, don't know, Carl. Your guess is as good as mine. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, look, don't be afraid to admit you don't know something. Because none of us know everything. I mean, the disciples are living with Jesus 24, 365. And they still don't understand it. My point is this, we've got to keep our focus on Jesus. Because if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, 
got to focus on Jesus. I think that's what our text says. Here's our second clue in how to be great in the kingdom of God. Function with humility. Verses 33 through 35. Uh, Then he came to Capernaum and he was in the house. He asked them, what was it you were disputing, arguing among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent for on the road they disputed among themselves who would be the goat. So he sat down and called the twelve. He said, if anyone desires to be first, greatest, goat, he shall be the last of all and servant of all. So right after Jesus tells his disciples, keep your focus on me, what happens? They get their focus off Jesus. And they start thinking about themselves. Who's going to be the goat? Right? It's kind of humorous, isn't it? But you know what? It's also sad. That right after Jesus Christ says, keep your focus on me, they lose focus. But Jesus says them straight real quick, doesn't he? Read verse 35 again real slow, the red part, the red part. Read it real slow like you're from the deep south. South Georgia. Jerry, you want to read it for us because you're from South Georgia. (laughs) Listen. If. Oh, he's going to read it. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Jerry. I'm just kidding, but go ahead. That's all right. That's a guy from Camilla. What was Jesus saying? What was he saying? He's saying if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to function with humility. Anybody like that word? Humility. I'm humble and proud of it. Amen. What's humility? Well, I can tell you this. It's the opposite of pride. Pride's what brought Lucifer down. Pride's what brought Adam and Eve down. Pride's what brings everybody down who will not humble themselves and come to Christ. Pride. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 8.13? Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth. What? Who's saying that? God. God hates pride. It's the original sin. So it brought Lucifer down. And it's pride... Really, it's pride that the disciples are arguing about as they walk with Jesus to Capernaum. 
So Jesus makes it clear that greatness in his kingdom is not measured by your own opinion of yourself. It's measured by your, say it, humility. Anybody ever heard of Andrew Murray? Andrew Murray wrote wrote a lot of great books. He was a great man of prayer. Wrote a lot on prayer. In his book, The Journey to Holiness, here's what Andrew Murray writes. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. That's true because you've got to get over pride to get saved in the first place. But humility is not easy to come by. Would you agree? I mean, it's part of our fallen nature. I mean, that's one of the reasons Adam and Eve messed it up in the garden. Pride thought Satan convinced them they could be like God. They just eat this forbidden fruit. So, so pride and humility is something we have to struggle against. Pride is going to raise its ugly head just as sure as the sun is going to come up in the morning. And I want to say this, you can't be proud of your humility. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, true humility does not know that it is humble. If it did, it would be proud from the contemplation of so fine a virtue. See, people who are really humble don't really recognize it. And they sure don't broadcast it. But I want you to notice that Jesus says humility should generate something. It should generate service to others. Look what he says. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. You see, someone who expects to be served does not have humility. You ever known somebody that's really arrogant? I've known some really arrogant preachers. I mean, really arrogant. The pastor I followed in South Carolina, he was at the church 29 years, I showed up. Probably, probably the most arrogant preacher, if not one of the most arrogant men I've ever met in my life. We didn't get along very well. Arrogance. Does it bother you when you meet someone that's really arrogant? Like, I am the greatest. Jesus says, um, serving is a clear evidence that we have a humble spirit. That if we're willing to serve other people. You know, one of the things, this happens, this has happened in every church I've ever pastored, every place I've ever preached revival. They go, well, you're the pastor, you're the preacher. Let's say we're going to have a meal. Well, you go first. I've never been comfortable with that. Because I'm the pastor. I've just not been comfortable with it. I'm like, no, 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 I don't have to go first. 
When you have homecoming, yeah, but you won't get your choice. Don't worry about it. All them ladies going to bring me their stuff because they want me to taste their stuff, right? But a lot of pastors, boy, they like that. Oh, yeah, I'll be, you don't have to ask me. I'm, I am first. I'll be first in line. Jesus says, mm-mm, mm-mm. If you've got a humble spirit, the first attitude you're going to have is I want to serve other people. And a lot of pastors, I want to say this especially about modern pastors, which I'm not one, uh, don't have much humility. And certainly don't understand what it means to, to serve people. They expect because of their position to be served, to be put up high, to be recognized. And Jesus says, guess what? You're not great in the kingdom if that's how you think. So if anyone wants to be great in the kingdom of God, they have to function with humility. Thought number three. You're going to be great in the kingdom of God you got to follow like children. Look at verse 36 and 37 again. Then he took a little child, set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now I'll tell you something. This, uh, this thought, follow like children, be like children, really fights against our nature, doesn't it? I mean, especially men, because we're told, be a man. Right? Oh, I forgot. In our woke society, I can't say be a man, can I? Oh, I can, Carl? I can say be a man. But don't miss my point. We are encouraged to grow up. We are encouraged to be grown up. Sometimes, moms and dads, I, I'm guilty of this. We were guilty of this with our kids, like expecting them to be grown up when they're not grown up. Anybody ever make that mistake and push them too hard to grow up? They're kids. I, I made that mistake. Grow up, we say. Be a grown up. And yet here's Jesus with a child on his lap saying how important children are in his kingdom. In fact, the Bible's quite clear on the importance of being childlike. Quite clear. We're going to look at this in a few weeks when we get to Mark chapter 10. Um, But here's what Mark chapter 10 verse 15 says. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. That's pretty interesting. Then he says in Luke chapter 18, verse 16, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. I say this to parents sometimes because sometimes parents say when their children are interested and in, become interested in spiritual things and, you know, I, I may want to be saved and whatever, and, and we think they're too young. I always re- think about this first. Let the little children come to me. 
Yeah, but I don't think they understand it all. I've been a Christian since I was 13. I don't understand it all. Do you? I don't understand salvation. I can do my best to explain it. I can give you scripture. But I can't really comprehend how a loving God accepted me, saved me, a sinner who cared nothing about him. And yet he did it. I can't understand that. Neither can you. So what do these statements mean? If you do not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, you will not enter it. Do not keep the little children from me, for such is the kingdom of God. What do they mean? They mean everyone, say it, everyone. Everyone, no matter your age, must come to Jesus like children. So how do, how do children come to Jesus? They come with, are you ready for it? Simple faith. Uh, some of you dads, you, you ever, when your kids were little, then maybe they're on the edge of the pool or on a dock at the lake or, or, or some, on the top of a ladder on a swing set, whatever, and you're standing there and you go, jump, I'll catch you. Any, anybody? Jump, I'll catch you. Now, they're, they're like, you know, they're like, are you sure, Dad? You, you sure you're going to catch me? Are you, are you really going to catch me? Don't miss. Now, how many of you dads ever said, no, 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 I'll catch you, and they jumped to you and went, ha, 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 ha. No, you, you, we don't do that. If you do that, you're crazy. And that child ends up jumping. Why? Because they trust their dad. They trust him. That, that's, how a, that's how a child comes to Jesus. They, just trust, they find it easy to trust Jesus. They haven't had years of experience of people who didn't catch them. That's why it becomes increasingly difficult to get saved as we get older. I talked about that last Sunday when we did baptism. 80% of those who get saved do so by the age of 18. The majority of those by the age of 13, what's that mean? That means that it's easier for us to come to Christ when we're younger because we can come in childlike faith. And guess what? We have to follow Jesus with the same kind of faith. We don't just come to him with that kind of faith. We have to follow him with that kind of faith. And adults struggle with that too, don't we? We struggle with doing stuff by faith. Well, some things, mostly spiritual. You don't struggle with the fact that you go to the doctor and he says, I think you got this and I'm going to prescribe this medicine. And then he scribbles something on a piece of paper that you nor anybody else can read. <laughs> and you have faith that the doctor knows what he's talking about. And then you take that little piece of paper that you can't read, and neither can the guy you're taking it to, or lady, and you take it to the pharmacy, 
and you hand it across the counter and you trust by faith that they can read it and that they fill it correctly and you take it home and without thought take the pill. How many? How many of you go home and say, on the way to the pharmacist from the doctor, That doctor's a quack. <laughs> How many of you, after you take that pill bottle from the pharmacy and, and you, you're driving home and you look at it, not while you're driving, you look at it and you go, I'm not sure I trust that guy. What, what if he put something in there that's not supposed to be in there? You got faith in other things besides that. You got faith that when you pull up to a stoplight and it's red, your direction, and when it turns green, you got faith that the people coming the other way are going to stop. Sometimes it don't happen, right? Our former sheriff sitting back there. Happens a lot, doesn't it, Ted? People run the stoplight. People don't stop at the stop sign. People don't stay in their lane. People break the speed limit. But we drive down the road in four lanes of traffic going down 400, going 80 miles an hour, and just trust the people next to us that they're going to stay in their lane. How crazy is that? And yet sometimes when it comes to just trusting Jesus, to just have faith in Jesus, to follow Jesus by faith, we go, mm, I'm not sure about that. We are, hoo-hoo, hoo-hoo, hoo-hoo. Adults struggle with following by faith. You know why? We've had too many jumps and not enough catches. But here's what the Bible says. Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. How? 2 Corinthians 5.7 follows it up. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Childlike faith, not adult-like faith. Childlike faith. Are you there yet? I mean, can you really live by faith? Can you transfer doctor and pharmacist faith to Jesus' faith? How many of you are walking by faith, not by sight? It's difficult, isn't it? Isn't it? It's difficult. I'll be the first to admit it. Childlike faith doesn't come easy to us who've grown up. But we've got to find it. We've got to find childlike faith. We've got to learn it. Childlike faith. And we've got to fight hard to not fall back into what's natural for us. I got to see it. I got to see it first.
But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? That's not how God leads us. Most of the time. God doesn't say, well, look, here's my whole plan for your life. The whole thing. From the moment you come to Jesus until I take you home to glory, here's the whole thing. Every turn, every curve, every mountain, every valley, you can see it all. Anybody seen that? None of us. How many of you look back over your spiritual life and you go, never thought it would be like this. (laughs) Huh? I sure didn't expect this. I didn't see that coming. And God says, you got to walk by faith, not by sight. Which means, here's here's how faith works. I'm right here. God hasn't shown me anything about my future. Although he knows it all, yes, he hasn't shown me anything. But right here I am. And I got to take a step. I don't know where I'm stepping to. It's dark. It's unknown. But I'm going to take a step. And I'm going to just trust God. That's how we're supposed to live. Every single day. difficult. But Jesus says, look, if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to follow like children. Everybody all right? Are you all all right? Listen, if it were easy Everybody would be doing it. I mean, being a Christian. Living the Christian life is not easy. Jesus never said it would be. In fact, he said the opposite. He said people are going to hate you. They're going to turn against you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to laugh at you. You're going to deal with trouble. Paul said everybody who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Here's something we really need to grab hold of. Not everybody gets this. We can't really live the Christian life. Everybody say this out loud. I can't live the Christian life. Do you believe that? See, we can't live the Christian life. It's not about living the Christian life. Hang with me. It's about the life, capital L, living Through me. 
Let me tell you what the Bible says, 1 John 5, 12. He who has the Son has life. See, we're going to fail miserably when we try to live the Christian life. We'll be successful when we get out of the way and let Jesus live through us. When we slide over from the driver's seat and say, Jesus, you take over. And it's not about me living the Christian life. It's just about letting Jesus live through me. And I walk by faith, not by sight. Trusting Jesus. So let me uh, give you a few questions as we close here. Do you really know Jesus? I don't mean know about him. I mean, now I've read the stories. I've heard the stories. I've read the Bible. I know all the stuff about Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about knowledge, intellectual knowledge, factual knowledge. I'm talking about, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you have the Son in you? That's the first question you need to to answer. Every one of us does. Second question, are you focused on Jesus? Jesus. Jesus. Washington, D.C.? Oh, no. Jesus. Jesus. Here's a good question. Are you part of a church family where you can function with humility and serve? See, because Jesus says if you're not functioning with humility, if you're not serving other people, you're missing the boat. Final question. Are you trying to live for Jesus? Or are you letting him live through you as you follow like a child? Jesus, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what this is going to lead to or through. But I'm just following by faith. I'm taking the step as you provide the way, as you open the way, I'm taking the step. If you block the way, I'm not going to kick the door down. Hey, anybody ever kick the door down? I have. God, that's a door I want to go through. Well, I've closed it. Too bad. I Bruce Lee that thing. Anybody ever done that? No, no. God closes the door. I didn't know where he wants me to go. He's got something else for me. How, where? I don't know. Wait till he tells you. See, one of, our biggest, one of our biggest problems is impatience. We're going to get to that Wednesday night, love, joy, peace. Patience. That's one of my least favorite fruits of the Spirit. Could you be 
a goat. I mean, great in the kingdom of God. Focus on Jesus. Function with humility. Follow like children. And you could be a goat. Bow your heads, close your eyes as our musicians come. Father, uh, however you're speaking to folks this morning, I pray that you would just continue to speak. If there's someone here that needs to be saved, needs to, to really know you, not just about you, know you. I pray that you'd give them the courage to, to walk down this aisle while we sing and say, Pastor Barry, I really want to know Jesus. there's someone here who needs to join this fellowship, lead them to do that. There's someone that needs prayer. There's someone that just needs to come to this altar and pray. God, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.